Spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. Welcome to Max Mike Movies. This is our first episode, and we're going to be talking about Eyes Wide Shut. Each week, we discuss a movie one of us hasn't previously seen, but the other one has. It might be a favorite film, a controversial film, or we can't believe the other one hasn't watched it. We'll go over the plot of the film in our show portion. We'll go back and forth over the film's merits, points, and details in Lowdown, and finish up with the Roundup, where we decide if the film was worth seeing, if it's still worth seeing, and if it's worth a second viewing. This is my cohort and co-partner in crime, Max. Hello. That's me. Who am I? Oh, I'm sorry. I keep forgetting. <laughs> and, and this is this is my co-host and cohort, Mike, uh, who you may also know from his well, his fabled YouTube series, The Movie Wrench. But probably not. But it's possible. So today it's Eyes Wide Shut, which was uh, um, Stanley Kubrick's last film. Um, we don't count AI because he actually gave that over to Steven Spielberg for reasons we don't know before right. uh, he passed away. Right. Um, Kubrick actually died, I think, was it four days after they finished shooting? Yeah, or he basically, they they, they, well, not shooting. He actually did the final cut. Oh, okay. Um, and he had um, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise, in that order, watch mm -hmm. the final cut and then four days later passed away. Um, but he was not even, they weren't even the same country at the time they saw it. So, so I'd, I'd say it's fair to say this is the movie that killed Stanley Kubrick. Um, <laughs> it's possible that that's true. It is possible I, I, that's true. I would rather like to think that working with Tom Cruise killed Stanley Kubrick. We're going to get to that because there's some very <laughs> interesting things about this film. There um, really are. Yeah. So before that, just really quickly and just like uh, one brief response, Max, uh, because mm -hmm. you're the one in this case who has not had not seen Eyes That Watch is right. Yet. I have um, never seen it. I'm a big Kubrick fan. Oh, but I have okay. never. I am. I Full Metal Jacket, Doctor Strange Love, even God help us, Clockwork Orange, which was a brilliant film that I never want to watch again. <laughs> Me either. Brilliant though. But oh yeah, and but I had never seen this until literally yesterday. Okay, so I have one, two quick questions. First of which, oh, sure. why haven't you seen this before? I I can't really explain that except the buzz around that movie was so mixed. Apparently, people love it or can't stand it. Okay. And also, I never pictured Stanley Kubrick doing anything involving sex that was un wasn't unpleasant. Um. Okay. That's that's reasonable. I can see that. Mm. So, because of all that, you you've put off seeing the film. But now that we sort of made you do it, mm -hmm. um, did you have any preconceived notions about the film or that you thought the film was going to be about? Um, before actually sitting down and watching it? Unfortunately, because I've waited so long to see it, it's been colored by other movies. Uh -huh. My first thought, especially when, when you see, I know this is jumping ahead a little, the uh, the masquerade weird-ass party, my first thought was, oh, look, Fifty Shades of Grey cosplay. Oh, yeah, okay. That's a, so, yeah. Which is totally unfair because the two movies are night and day. Mm. But... No, all I knew is it dealt with some aspect of human sexuality and human relationship. That was about it. Hmm. Cool. So why don't we get to uh, the show portion? I'm going to do a recap of the plot, um, mm -hmm. such as it is, as quickly as I can. Uh, and then we're going to start talking about it. Uh, also, there will be some, some trivia in there. I looked up a few facts, but uh, let's do a recap. 
the show. <laughs> Our heroes, Alice and Bill, a wealthy New York City sort of couple, mm-hmm. attend a Christmas party where both are heavily flirted with. There's a hooker who nearly overdoses, and Bill, who's a doctor, is brought quietly to deal with the incident. She will be important later. Back at home the next night, Bill and Alice are smoking pot, though it seems they may have started early, and it comes out that each had a chance to get a little nookie at the party. While Alice is willing to admit her attraction, Bill claims he wasn't enticed at all. Alice wants to know if Bill was jealous of the attention that she got. Bill thinks women are far more faithful than men and totally believes his wife was utterly innocent. This starts an argument where Alice reveals that not only did she have thoughts at the party, there was a time she seriously thought of having a hookup with a hunk of a sailor she saw while on vacation. Bill is shocked. Conveniently called away on a medical issue, he goes to the home of a patient who has just died to console his daughter. She throws herself at Bill, who carefully extricates himself from her advances just before her husband shows up. Not Boyfriend. Ready to... <laughs> oh, yeah, you're correct. It was a fiancé. You were yeah. correct. Thank you for, cu- for cu- clearing that up. Um, not ready to go home, Bill roams New York City, eventually stumbling into the gaze of a wandering prostitute. Deciding that, yes, he would like to be unfaithful since his wife sort of was, he goes home with the nice lady only to balk at the last moment when Alice calls to see what he, when he's coming home. Bill pays the woman, even though they did nothing, and walks the streets. He ends up at a nightclub where his old school buddy is playing piano. There he learns of a secret party happening later that night that Nick, the piano player, is performing at. Sounding weird and dangerous, Bill decides to crash the party. It's a costumed affair, so he has to wake someone at a closed costume shop to get what he needs, where, once again, a woman tries to throw herself at Bill, though in this case she's still a teen. Taking a cab out to a remote mansion, Bill crashes the party, a very odd affair with men masked and cloaked, all going about orgiastic scenes with a good deal of elaborate ceremony with thousands of naked women. One woman seems to know who Bill is, singles him out, tries to warn him that he's in trouble, but... uh, It's too late. The cab gave Bill away. Seems he is in dire straits. He's forced to doff his mask to the group, and something bad is going to happen. But the woman, who is likely the hooker he saved from the beginning of the film, told you she was important, takes his place for whatever punishment is to happen. Bill leaves. Bill gets home to find Alice laughing in her sleep. Seems she was dreaming of that Navy guy again. Later that day, Bill returns to the costume, is given the offer of sex with the teen again, then goes looking for his buddy Nick the piano player. Nick is gone under some rather disturbing circumstances. For reasons unknown, Bill drives back to the remote mansion only to be handed a note warning him to never speak about the event again and to let it be. He leaves. Reading a newspaper, he finds out that the hooker he saved at the beginning of the film overdosed last night and was found dead. Bill gets a call from the nice man who gave the Christmas party and, over a stiff drink, is basically told that nothing he saw at the party was real, it was all staged. There were people of high importance, and they don't like their fun being interrupted. Bill wonders about the girl who died. His pal said it was coincidence. She OD'd, just as Bill predicted she would someday. Still, better not to talk about it. Ever. Bill goes home, but finds the mask he wore to the party on the pillow next to his wife's head. Waking Alice, Bill tells her everything, and the admission that he too is human seems to bring them closer together. Or something. While taking their daughter Christmas shopping, the couple decides that the best way to deal with the whole issue is to have sex as soon as possible. The end. Yeah, that sums it up pretty well. Yeah. Um, So, uh, 
as, as we both pointed out, we're, we're, we're sort of halfway between the show portion and the uh, lowdown portion. Uh, there's some interesting trivia around this film. I don't know if you did any reading about the film afterwards, did you? I did a little, yeah. Uh-oh. Uh <laughs> before I ask you what you read, did it color your viewing of the film? Well, I read it after after I saw the film. I didn't want to color it before. Well, color your but, opinion, I should yeah. say. Yeah, it kind of did. I didn't... I mean, people who were reading things into the movie I hadn't seen. Uh, it's not were, quite The Shining. It doesn't have that conspiracy theory yet. <laughs> not, 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 not entirely, no. <laughs> Although apparently there are some, like, there are all these callbacks to other Kubrick movies that I completely missed. Yeah, me too. Mm. And I've seen it many times. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go right on uh, off the top here with my trivia. and uh, Sure. Talk about the Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise, who were famously married before this film came out, and just as famously married, not married, after the film came out. Um, there's a lot of speculation that this film is what put an end to their marriage, or at least a marriage mm -hmm. that was not entirely rock solid was thrown over the edge because of this film. Um, mm -hmm. Also, this was the longest shoot of any film ever. Oh. That's right. I saw that over four hundred days, fifteen months. God. When they when they signed up, they were <laughs> signing up for a six month shoot, and the film hadn't even been named or decided upon at that point. It was just like, "Hey, you want to work with Kubrick?" And Cruz and Kidman were like, "We sure do." Um, and it actually ended up screwing up. I'm trying to think. I think it was one of Cruz's films. Had to be, it was was it Mission Impossible? I can't remember. One of his films was pushed back because of this movie. Wouldn't be, um, wouldn't be surprised. I mean, who was it? Harvey Keitel was supposed to be in that movie, but the yep. shoot went so long, he couldn't come back for reshoots, yep. and uh, they had to reshoot, they recast someone else. Yeah, I think it was Sidney Pollack, wasn't it? I think it was that part. Yeah, I think that's right. I think he was supposed to be Sidney Pollack, although apparently, throwing in my trivia here, Kubrick thought about casting himself in the role of Victor. You know, because, uh, sort of a Woody Allen homage. Huh. Seeing, yeah, seeing as Kubrick is not at all known for his acting, probably uh, that would have been a mistake. Yeah, probably, which is, you know, why he yeah. didn't do it. Uh, oh. One of the things that apparently is very common on the set is that there's a lot of times there's director's notes, notes from the director saying, hey, play this this way, play this that way. In this case, there were none. Wow. Mostly what would happen is he would have people redo things. He apparently is a very organic director in that they would play something, then he'd have them play it again in a different way, and he would videotape the um, rehearsals, but he wouldn't film them. So hmm. a lot of times the actors, especially Cruz apparently, felt that he didn't really know what he was doing and that keeping Bill as a, sep as a single character was really difficult throughout the film. Um, some very odd things happened on the set. Uh, including the fact that the Cruz-Kidman marriage and its troubles were the basis for the movie and their relationship. Um, something I found out later uh -huh. is that, as their bedroom in the film. Yeah, that's the recreation of their bedroom and has some of their real clothes and their real stuff in it. Oh, that's creepy. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, Kubrick was known to be a perfectionist. There is one scene, yeah. and I don't know which one it is, of Tom Cruise literally just walking through a doorway that Kubrick had him shoot 95 times. <laughs> yeah. Um, in my uh, in my recap, I uh, emphasized the words New York City because none of it took place there. No, but they actually did a nice job of making it feel like New York. They did and they didn't. It felt to me just too clean. 
<laughs> like it was it very much felt like a theme park version of New York City. Like, well, no one's ever lived here. But... Oh, come on. That's how New York is in about 50 percent of the movies that take place in New York. You look around, and you go, wow, look at that. There isn't a gum wrapper or an empty Starbucks cup to be seen. <laughs> of course, that's a fantasy. I, well, here's my the main thing. thing was the streets were too narrow. Well, they supposedly were very careful on the way they they measured everything up to and including the news, newspaper huts. Like, they, they were... Huh. Yeah, and I didn't even know until I uh, read up on this film for this show that they had, in fact, recreated New York City. I thought from the first time I saw it, I was like, that's not New York. I didn't know it was a set, but I didn't think it was New York. But mm. there you go. Yeah. Um, it was actually based on a nov- novella. I did not know right. this. Uh, called yeah, Tra- a German book, yeah. Traum Novelle, which is dream mm-hmm. book or dream story. Yeah. Um, and apparently is, is obviously does not play to take place in current day New York, but apparently is fairly close to the plot of the movie. Hmm. Um, here's a weird little creepy fact. Uh, yeah. Apparently the, the mask that Tom Cruise wears in the film. Oh, yeah. Based on a life cast of Ryan O'Neill. Right, from uh, Barry Lyndon. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, I think, the only film that he starred in with him, but it's just like, mm. huh, okay, that's not <laughs> odd, because, you know, Ryan's w- still alive, but... You, you have know. to wonder how Ryan felt about that. Don't and, know. God, Cruz looks so familiar in this scene. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gosh, don't I look pretty? Um, so that's what I had for trivia. Do you have any uh, trivia to add to that that uh, I didn't cover? Uh, some, like for j- just some very odd parts... You recall in when uh, Cruz first goes to the costume store and the young woman, Lily Subisky, who's played by Lily Subisky, although the character doesn't have a name, nope. is, hi- is hiding behind him, trying to escape the wrath of her father, and she whispers something in his ear. And it's never revealed in the movie what it is. Well, there's a reason for that partially. I had headphones on last night watching it. They, mm-hmm. du- they, they uh, muted out the sound. Mm. But... But apparently what she was supposed to have said, according to uh, the plot write-up, was, your cape is going to need an ermine lining. Oh. Yeah. That's not creepy. No. <laughs> the wow. hell, you know? I mean, well, what okay, does that it's supposed to, it's December in New York, he's going to need something warm, sure. But ermine lining, that kind of suggests royalty. Oh, that's not it, where my mind went. <laughs> and it also suggests she knows where he's going. That's what where my mind went. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yikes, that's just yuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that bizarre thing in the initial scene of the masked ball when you've got the red priest mm-hmm. walking in the circle with the incense sensor, yep. and they're chanting. Mm-hmm. You know what that is? I looked. I had to look that up. I that did not. Is, that is an, a Romanian Orthodox prayer backwards. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that was coincidence and that Kubrick didn't think ahead about that or do anything on purpose. I'm sure it was oh, just... No. No. Yeah, oh, no. Oh, God. Everything that Bizarro does is, is absolutely planned. I don't think he leaves anything for uh, uh, just to, to random chance. Uh-oh. I, I suggest... I, or I see here a hint of... Um... Of, of opinion here. So, speaking of opinions, why don't we move over into the lowdown? The lowdown. Go ahead. Let's hear your impressions of the film. What did okay. What did you think it was about? That's That's one of my oh, favorite questions. Because yeah, yeah. Really, I, I yes. don't know. It's a. I assume it's supposed to be about the relationships between people, and particularly the sexual as involves sex. And the idea of fidelity, I mean, hell, that's the damn password to the party, Fidelio. Hint. Yeah, big hint. Uh, 
the problem is with for me with most Kubrick films, I tend to walk out of the going, my God, that was brilliant. I have no idea what I'm supposed to take away from it. <laughs> I mean, hell, what the hell is the point of Clockwork Orange? Is violence bad? Is is mind controlling criminals bad? Is what the hell? Or is just is this just a thing of like humanity sucks? I, or, I tend or to all think of that, those things. Or all of those things. I just tend to think most of Kubrick's attitude is, well, people are fascinating and horrible. <laughs> so Eyes Wide Shut is telling us that we suck. Yeah, yeah but we can look good doing it. <laughs> okay. I mean, first off, this movie is beautiful to look at. The way he uses lighting is amazing. I love the fact that for the most part in the beginning, the soundtrack, there isn't a soundtrack except what's being played in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, in the initial scene when they're uh, the opening scene where uh, Tom Tom Cruise. OK, sorry, uh, Bob and Alice Bill. and and I Bill and Alice. Oh, I was thinking Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. <laughs> That's and when, when Bill, Bill and Alice are getting dressed and you're hearing Jazz Suite number two, uh, the waltz from Jazz Suite number two. And it turns out they're just playing it on their CD player in the background hmm. Oh, for our younger listeners a cd player (laughs) was a device for playing music off of plastic discs (laughs) oh you don't have to worry about that because they're all into vinyl now oh oh that's true okay think of it as a very small vinyl record yeah like a like a only Um, shiny and didn't and doesn't scratch um okay yeah so and, and when they're at the party it's it's the actual you know jazz the musician is playing and but then the same music we hear in those settings gets sort of transposed into the rest of the movie. That whole thing with the single piano key, where you're going, ding, 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 ding. God, <laughs> really effective, really uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and again, the, the way lighting is done, the way it starts out all soft and orangey and dreamlike and like not quite real, and then the lighting gets harsher and harsher and more and more realistic and then slipping back into dreamlike... Yeah. Well, now, of course, um, before we get to the final part where we decide whether it was a a successful movie or a good movie, did Mm -hmm. you like it? Uh, I'm glad I watched it. I got a lot lot of satisfaction from it, but uh, I can't say that I actually liked it. No, not not in terms of like it made me happy. Well... (laughs) I don't think there's... Is there a Kubrick film that makes people happy? Well, I guess you could argue that uh, um, Dr. Strangelove at least gets you to laugh here and there, but it's not a comfortable laugh. It's a... Yes, it's a, it's a movie that ends in nuclear Armageddon. That's not really... A, I mean, despite Yee-hoo. the... <laughs> yeah, and despite we're hearing, you know, that sweet we'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when song, it, it's not a happy flick, no. But it's got Peter Sellers. Of course it's funny. It has Peter Sellers many times. Yes, it does. <laughs> Yes, At yes. one point, he, he's, he's Dr. Scott. Um, <laughs> yep, yep. Um, uh, I, I don't know if I could say I liked it. I, I'm, again, amazed by the man's skill as a visual artist. The way he puts scenes together is amazing. Kubrick's pacing always kind of gets me. Okay. He's so slow. I mean, you, this is, to me, the most evident in 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yes. Which is glacially slow, but you can't really see how he could have done it any other way. It kind of had to be like that. And while it's slow, it's not boring. It's, I don't know, languid. Well, yeah. I, some people think it's boring. Uh, yeah. When I was doing a little research for this and did not know that 
the book 2001 and the movie 2001 were being made at the same time. Yeah. Like, it's not really an adaptation because the book didn't really exist before the movie was being made. Mm. So they're being done simultaneously. And it's like, oh. And then I watched 2010 and it's like, yep, this is as bad as I remember. Uh, <laughs> it's like, wow, you really want to do a sequel to that? Mm. Um, it's like when the Jaws 2 came out, it's like, nope. <laughs> Yeah, and, and like Joe's too, it's like, well, the original director was okay, but I can top it. <laughs> it's like, you know, who's this Spielberg jerk? Kubrick who? I don't know. Yeah. Together they made AI, sort of. I um, mean, it was also fun to watch, like, oh, good heavens, the, the hotel clerk he's trying to interrogate is Alan Cummings. Right. And it's like, and again, that sequence is fascinating because a lot of, okay, it sort of ties into... Uh, Tom Cruise in this movie is a dick. I am sorry. I thought Bill was a jerk. Why did you think Bill was a jerk? Okay, first of all, you know, he's a cipher. We have no idea what's going on in his head. I, I thought the contrast between him and Alice is fascinating. Alice has this very rich inner life. She's willing to confront her feelings. She's willing to admit having desires. Uh, uh, she, she explores her dreams. And... He, this guy, you know what most of his dialogue seemed to be? Repeating what the last person <laughs> said. Yo, you got that too, huh? Yes. Oh, yes. The first time I saw the film, when it came out, because I did see this in the theater, uh -huh. all, I, all I could think is, why does he just keep repeating things all yeah. through the film, up until the end, in that last scene where he's in the um, the billiards room with Victor. Mm. And Victor would say things, and the scene starts with you, him just repeating, like, uh, what are you talking about? I... Last night, last night, yeah, last night, yeah. last night, last night. Uh, and it's like, yeah. oh my God, please, somebody. That's why I made that little comment about how they may have started a little early. Mm. Um, my interjecting here, my initial uh, feelings about the acting in this film was that they were rather wooden. And it really colored my opinion of Nicole Kidman for a long time, I think up until Moulin Rouge. Because I was like, well, she's great at acting high, but not much of anything else. Because to be oh, fair... I don't know. I, I thought... Oh. I, I liked the way she was... Oh, yeah, I know how you liked her. <laughs> well, yes. Okay, she was, in that movie, she is unbelievably beautiful. I mean, the camera... the And it doesn't linger on her like a pornographer, which is not true um, of a lot of the other women in the movie. Um... Mm. Mm, you don't I'm think so? There's, well, there's, there's only... I'm trying to remember. I think there's literally two scenes that she's dressed. One of them <laughs> is at the party, and one of them uh, is at the toy store. Otherwise, it seems that she wanders around in her underwear, and, you know, good thing that that's see-through. Mm. Uh, one of my comments that I actually wanted to definitely cover was that this is a very misogynistic film. Oh, Tons yeah. of naked women. Oh, and by the way, everyone's white. Did you know that New York is yeah. an entirely white city? Yeah, I wondered about that. <laughs> Occasional Russian immigrant and uh, transplanted Englishman, but yeah... I mean, white people as far as the eye can see. Yeah. I mean, one might argue that Sidney Pollack is supposed to vaguely maybe represent that there was some Jewishness in his background somewhere, and mm. that's only because he has curly hair. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, this is a white, 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 white film. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not willing to Oh, believe wait, sorry. There is one black character. I just remembered. I think he has one line. When Tom Cruise, Bill, whatever the hell his name is. I'm no. sorry. To me, he was just Tom Cruise. This was one of the movies where Tom Cruise was playing Tom Cruise. Right. Even to the creepy laugh and the weird smile. Yeah. But when he goes to the morgue 
to see oh, the dead right. prostitute. <laughs> yep, the morgue attendant <laughs> is black. The one black character, where does he work? In a basement with the dead people. Yeah, yeah. So. And he, I think he gets one line, which is like, she's over here. <laughs> That's it. Thank you, Stanley, for, for broadening <laughs> our horizons and mm-hmm. really showing some uh, disparity yeah. in the type of, yeah, well, okay, whatever. Um. Yeah, not a fan of the acting. I mean, I'm Cruz. Mm. Cruz to me, there's only there's only one film I've seen Cruz in that I actually think he pushes himself as an actor, and that's Magnolia. And mm. I don't agree with you in that. I don't think Bill's a dick. I do agree with you that he's a cipher. To me, there's not enough predisposition or forethought mm. for him to be a dick. To me, a dick is somebody who does things on purpose to be. Okay, that's a point. It's just. There's you nothing don't there. don't know his motivation. Why is he doing all these things? Why is he doing these patently stupid things? Oh, look, a random hooker has approached me on a New York street. You know what would be in the age of AIDS, which we find out she has? <laughs> I think I will go back to her apartment and get me some good loving. Yeah, that's... that. That's Maybe. A, yeah. <laughs> when I and have later, Nicole I'll Kidman at home... <laughs> I know, I know. I just, oh, God. And well, it's like, huh, here is a, a house full of crazy people in masks performing weird rituals that have vaguely satanic overtones or Illuminati overtones. I'm going to hang out, despite the fact someone has warned me twice, twice, that I am in physical danger. I'm going to hang out. Why? I'm okay. okay. If he had a reason, I'd be okay with it, but we don't know why. So here's my... I, I've, I've seen the film now six or seven times. Yeah. Um, and the reason I keep going back to this film is I struggle with it, and I can't decide if I like it or not. Mm. And at this point, the film is so familiar, I'm not even sure I could differentiate whether I do or not. Because I've seen oh, some really okay. horrible films many times, usually with, with the help of some of our friends at uh, Rift Tracks or MST3K. Hi, guys. Um, hi. Yeah, I know they're listening. Um, <laughs> and... I know I don't like those films, but it's fun because, you know, I've seen it with these guys making comments, but I know them really well. So I don't Mm -hmm. think about when I watch the episode that I don't like the film here. I still don't know, because like you said earlier with Kubrick, it's like, well, it's genius. So I like it because it's genius. Right. I mean, I don't (laughs) get it, but it's got to be good because Kubrick. Um, I still don't know if I like it Um, with Bill. I finally came to the, the the thing I think the film is about is that Bill, because of his protected life and lifestyle, mm. realizes that he has absolutely no idea what life is. He doesn't know how to live it. He doesn't know what it means. He doesn't understand risk because he's never had any. And so he suddenly realizes that he doesn't know what life is. When he has that little conversation with, with his wife, Alice, and finds out, wait, <laughs> Women fantasize? That can't be true, because <laughs> all women are perfectly pure and wonderful. Everyone knows mm. that. It basically, it throws into his face that he literally knows nothing about being a human. Maybe he's an alien. I don't know. Of course, there, there, there has been that uh, that Xenu. Um, uh, that yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, great. Get us taken off the off the uh, podcasts before we're even up. Good plan. <laughs> uh, Let's was, piss I, off Scientology. I Let's go all the way. Out. I didn't say Xenu. Oh, I said uh, it again. Oh, you said it again. Uh, so I finally decided that the <laughs> reason that Bill never actually follows through is because Bill realizes he has lived and will probably continue to live a life of fear. 
Hmm. Every time Bill has come close to doing something, like actually doing something of consequence, he backs off and says, whoa, whoa, or something, somebody calls him, or, you know, I got to go see a dead guy. You know, um, it's just, he keeps trying, and the more he tries, the weirder the circumstance, and the more that he lucks out of not actually having to live anything. And in the end, Bill is hollow because Bill has never actually experienced or done anything. He's been near things that have happened. I'm sure lots of his patients have had, you know, diseases or things that they had to deal with. But even then, all Bill does is comfort them and walk away. Well, he is a doctor. The idea is he's supposed to heal them. But, of course, right. you're supposed to have, a doctor is supposed to have emotional detachment from his patients or he goes crazy. Well, uh, I think that's a good point. I think it's a point that he doesn't, he has no idea what's under the surface of anything. No. Himself, his wife, the world. Because you notice... He, you're right, he doesn't know how to deal with things that fall outside his scope. And you notice how every time he's talking to someone he doesn't know, the first thing he does <laughs> is whip out his medical license like it's a goddamn federal badge. And I'm a doctor. Yes, you know, but the interesting thing is it works. People yeah. look at it and go, oh, you're a doctor, then I'll tell you, which also makes a certain amount of sense. Yeah. And again, a lot of it to me is, though, about sexuality. A lot of people in this movie, I think the reason they respond the way they do to Tom Cruise is he's so damn pretty. Right. I well, mean, Alan Cummings. the privileged part. Yes, exactly. He's been treated a certain way, and he's used to that. And I think when he runs into this group of secret people who say, yeah, you're pretty, we don't care, <laughs> he doesn't know how to deal with that. Well, it's also like, um, gosh, I'm going to go to this weird, creepy party, and oh, there's sex here. Um, how do I... Um... Let's see. I could be with... Uh, no, wait, I'll go to this room. Oh, wow, they're doing it here. Uh, gosh, uh, sex here to do with things. Uh, yeah, I should yeah, do that. He's, lo he's lost. I mean, yeah. he's lost in the regular world. And he's, when he runs into this world of what is clearly unbridled hedonism, I, okay. he, he doesn't yeah. know what to do. So that was my take on Bill. Again, Alice, yeah. to me, it was like, I like to get high. And yes, she does have more of a life, and there's a little bit more to her than that, but we don't really get to see much of her. And to be fair, no, this film really is about Bill. Yeah, she's not in the movie much, but I do think that's not just what it is. I don't think it's just that she's trying to get high. She want, that That's what she is. She's doing that because she wants to feel something. She wants to... <laughs> she's not going to get it from Bill. Yeah, that's... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can kind of, you, you notice she has way more chemistry with the Hungarian guy she's flirting with in the... In the uh, first party scene at Victor's house than she does with Tom Cruise. Well, my thought was that she'd imbibed more chemistry, but there you yeah. go. Um, that's, to me, the whole film, she felt like she was high. I'm not saying she didn't have feeling. To me, Nicole Kidman's performance in this was very one what about, note. What about when she's with the kid? You know, we haven't talked about the kid at all. That's the weird... That's, well, to me, one of the strangest parts of this narrative. It's all she, this is go, going on, and... Oh, yeah, by the way, we have a child. Did I mention that? It's like Richie in the Dick Van Dyke show. It's like, oh, yeah, for this episode, we have a son. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. look, she has red hair, unlike either of them. <laughs> uh, actually, no, no, uh, Nicole Kidman is technically a strawberry blonde. She does not have reddish hair. No, not in that one, but... <laughs> um, yeah, and she looks so much like either of the parents. Well, um, yeah. So, yeah, the daughter is, is definitely more of a plot contrivance or a convenience oh she's uh, not a character at all she no. is a, a set piece and a plot device that's right. true but even but, still when they're in that toy store and it's like mommy look and nicole kibbins is like hi <laughs> it's like, 
Yeah, yeah, we know you are. Um, again, I had not seen Nicole Kidman in anything before this. This is the first film I had seen her in, and I was like, well, she can't act. And then, of course, she proved that well, she has tons more range than Tom Cruise will ever yeah. have. Yeah. Um, so to me, she was she was kind of wasted. But, oh, well, you know, in both terms. Um, but, yeah, but if you notice, a lot of Kubrick movies, at least the ones I'm familiar with, they don't have a lot of major female characters. Gee, I Kubrick, wonder why. Well, Kubrick <laughs> seems much more comfortable with male characters. I mean, in, what, Full Metal Jacket, I think the only women or women are whores. Yeah. He does make a couple of films that you never want to see again. That's one of them. Uh, don't, don't ever need to see that. Uh, it was really good. So oh, yeah, it was, it's uh, terrific. Clockwork but it's... Orange, but it's like, nope, that's a scar I will not open. Yeah, too painful. But, so, yeah, again, brilliant, but too painful. I want to I go quickly to the party, because the okay. party was a big oh, yeah. controversy when this film came out. And, in fact, um. I don't know if you knew this or not, that... Um, Kubrick was determined to get an R rating. He did not want NC-17. I forget what the uh, actual rating is in Britain, but uh, he did not want this to be a sex film. Uh, Yeah, I read about that. Mm -hmm. So to that end, and this is 1999, I think, is when the film came out. Yeah, that's it. um, They actually used digital stand-ins for some of the more graphic sex to cover over what was (laughs) shot. Now, that being said... The film works up to that scene, which is actually about halfway through the film. Yeah. Um, I looked at my little meter last night, and that, that you think it's near the end, but it's not. It's actually about halfway through the film. And that's definitely meant to be like a, a high point in the plot. What was your impression of that party? It started out really interesting. I mean, uh, first off, I, I thought this is going to change what the movie is. I thought, wow, is this actually a secret society? Is there going to be some kind of intrigue? And, so, and as, as it goes along, you realize, okay, no, this is rich people, bored, rich people who have decided they're going to do something kinky. I mean, even when they were when they were talking about, uh, uh, you know, you, must not, you will suffer a terrible fate, and the woman steps in and says, I will take the fate. It's so stylized. And it really sounds like they're reciting. It's like, okay, what, she's going to go through the spanking machine now? <laughs> it's like, I at no point thought he was in real danger. Okay. Is real, um, visually, again, awesome. The the masks, the costumes. The music. Uh, the use of the music. Some of the music, which is, is just very odd. You know, old Cole Porter or strange jazz numbers just didn't fit. And yet somehow worked. The other thing is the sex in the whole, and this is true, I think, in the whole movie, it's so stylized and so performance-oriented. It it was like watching people, it was like watching uh, porn (laughs) role-play. We're not actually going to do porn, but we're going to play it like on TV. Yeah, exactly. It's like, wow, the sex is so staged. Like, you know, real sex isn't like that. Even movie sex isn't like that. How would you know? Well, I don't know movie sex, but I, 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 I've read about actual sex. Um, <laughs> yeah, we don't need to go there. Yeah, no, no, let's not. That was just me uh, being crude. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I thought there was going to be more to it. And I was, kind, I was at first disappointed when there wasn't. And then it was more like, okay, that makes it kind of more interesting. Like, oh, so okay. he, he stumbled into something. At first, we think it's like, oh, God, is this going to turn into a Dan Brown story? You know, is there, the Da Vinci Code? Is this some secret society? No, it's a bunch of bored rich people who want to put on costumes and get naked. Yeah, that, you know, so I'm totally in agreement with you here because mm. 
he gets to the party. I, I'm trying to remember back when I saw this, which was, what, 19 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh, here's where stuff gets real creepy and weird, and it didn't. No. And it's like, and then I thought later, it's like, so they're warning him, you better not tell anybody, you better, you, nope, you, no, no. And I'm like, tell them what? A bunch of people got together and had consensual sex? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's really just not that interesting. And it's, what is he going to tell them? A bunch of people I can't identify right. were doing this, no. and nothing of none of which appears to be illegal. No. I mean, to be fair, we're guessing that, that the, a lot of the women there were probably paid to be there. Um, but there's no oh, evidence horror. of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't know that, but we can guess that they yeah. are partially because it's like, well, who's allowed to be here? Who was invited? Ah, you're wearing a costume. Who was paid to be here? Ah, you're not. Mm. <laughs> that's just a guess, but that's my feeling too. I was really surprised that there wasn't at least like some spanking, something. Like the most we see is, oh, did you see two naked women sitting next to each other? Did you see that? Ooh. Yes, or there's two men, one of whom is naked, dancing. Every time I watch the film, I look for them and I can never find them. Oh, I saw them. Uh, and I it's, like, hear they were all there, it's like, all they're doing is dancing. It's like, Ugh. really? You're not even doing a, no one's having a three-way, nobody's using bondage gear, nothing? So, yeah. And it, the it's thing, just voyeurism. Right. And it's, it, they even seem bored by it. I mean, you can't tell because they're wearing masks, but it's like, hey, you know, those guys are having sex. Yeah, I'm gonna go watch the uh, Sex in the Billiard Room. Uh, yeah, come you, yeah, maybe. Uh, you have to wonder. I mean, assuming all of the naked people were like performers or hired people, because you know they were all beautiful. They're all right. these perfect specimens. And let's face it, if this is like New York High Society, a lot of them under those robes are not. I don't know what you mean. Maybe some of our <laughs> high society listeners would be offended. <laughs> um, I, I just had a thought too. You know, this may tie into my idea, which may or may not be right about. Tom Cruise's Bill character not knowing what life is about. Maybe that's why these people are here, because they don't know either. And they're uh, watching other people seemingly have life, but at a safe distance. I don't know. Mm, but the party it's too could, structured. It's too, I mean, I thought about, oh, maybe they're here to, because there's no passion in their life. But there's no passion in anything that was happening in there either. It was all so mannered and so staged. There's no... There was no life in it. It was too. No. It was very much about. To me, that was all about control. It's like yeah. we like we like this. We can create this scenario. We can make people do what we want them to do. Look like we want them to look. Follow these ridiculous rules and rituals. And yeah. that Because we can. Um, the other thing I I have a question here, and this is a a, a sort of potential plot hole thing. Um, I understand that they realize, hey, the guy showed up in a cab. Did you invite anybody who would come in a cab? No, I didn't. Yeah. No, I didn't. So, okay, they realize he doesn't belong here. Mm -hmm. How does, I'm trying to think of her name. Um, she is the, the she, she who shall be known as the hooker in the beginning of the film. Uh, uh, Mandy. Mandy, How yeah. does Mandy know it's him? She knows that he doesn't belong there, but the only part she can see mm -hmm. of him is his eyes. Is that enough? How did because she, she walks up to him, she she chooses him, yeah, and it's like you need to go. So it's not that it, you get the. In fact, he even asks, "It's like who are you?" That's not important. Mm. So it seems pretty obvious. It's implied to me that she knows who he is, and he, being Bill, hasn't the slightest clue. Um, Her but, magic hooker sense. Well, you might. I mean, one might say, well, he recognized um, parts of her. Well, he could, he might recognize. 
he might recognize her because she's walking around naked, but it's a good but he point. doesn't. <laughs> All she can see of him are his eyes. I mean, right. I don't know. Maybe that's it. Maybe she's really good at recognizing people by uh, by ocular differentiation. But, but to, to cut my no, it the... doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, early in the, in the in the film where he he's getting her to wake back up, he tells her specifically to look at him. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Maybe she does have that vision, and that's how she. Although from a distance, I don't know how she figured out. Hey, you know, the guy who doesn't belong. I bet that's Doctor Bill. <laughs> yeah, and he's got a hood down too, so his face is shadowed. No, you're right. That is, that's kind of a plot hole. How the hell does she know? And then, when we're talking about fear, so mm-hmm. he's brought in front of the high tribunal, and it's like, take your mask off, which he does because it's Bill. He doesn't yeah. fight it all; he takes it off. And so it's like, now what are you people afraid of? So it's an entire room full of none of none of all these people he does not know. Yeah. Although there's the hint that there's the one mask that has sort of a a pointy cowcatchery chin thing. <laughs> um, the the thought there, to me at least, is that might be Victor. Yeah, that's. I figured that too. I figured the, it, that was either Victor or Victor was the the red priest. The I don't think he was the red priest because the, well, the voice was definitely wrong. Yeah. But um, also there was a woman standing next to him, and although Victor's wife appears for about ten seconds in the film, it's about the right height differential. Okay. So my thought was that was supposed to be Victor and his wife, and Maybe. he nods at Bill, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, how do people know it's him? Okay, now Bill's taken off his mask. Everybody knows who this is, and we find out later that they also know who he is because he left his bill of sale, I'm sorry, his deposit slip with his <laughs> name on it in the costume when, and the coat when he hangs that up. So they know who he is. Mm-hmm. What are they worried about? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't mean, know. Yeah, I don't know. That's, well, I think part of that is uh, they're carried away with their own importance. They're like, oh, we don't want our secrets known, no matter how stupid they are. <laughs> the secrets that we have boring sex together in a big mm. house. Um, I, and that's the, that was one of the parts I struggled with a lot with this film, was that party is supposed to mean so much. It's supposed to be, I think, at least that's the way it's presented. It's like, this is, oh, taboo. This Nobody sees this. This is scary, creepy, bad stuff. And then it's like, well, you know, they're doing it over there, and they're doing it over there, and a lot of people are bored watching it over here, and a lot of people are bored watching it over there. Okay, but this also, that takes as read that Victor's telling the truth. Right. What if, what if they actually did kill Mandy? Oh, what I if think that's it, what I, they do all the time? What if these guys have a history of murdering people who either find out or, you know, we don't actually know. I mean, Victor tells him, oh, yeah, your friend Nick Nightingale, he's probably back home right now with Mrs. Nick. Did you, you scream out at the film? Call him! <laughs> <laughs> I did. It's like, let's find out! <laughs> um, so, uh, do you, you know who Steve Rebell was, right? Yeah, yeah, from the Studio 54. Yeah, so he had a theory, which was, there's always another door. Hmm. Part of me wondered if that's what was going on here, is that Bill basically was in the waiting room of the party, and that the good stuff was behind another door, or even another one, or another one. Hmm. So that maybe what happened to Mandy was... Yeah, okay, punishment, blah, blah, blah. But maybe also stuff happened there that was worth protecting. And maybe mm. they didn't know that he had been told something or hadn't been told something. I don't know. But as we saw it, it really just was not that big a deal. Yeah. Yeah, what we actually saw, I mean, it was nothing was actionable in that. No, I mean, uh, you know, they paid for hookers. I mean, what, what was going to happen? Let's face it, the people who live in that house, nothing. Nothing yeah. was going to happen. nothing. No one's going to ever find it. What's what's Bill going to do? No, really, I was at a party where there was all this sex and there was hookers, and I can prove... Um, 
And uh, who, and who was there? Just... I don't know. They were all wearing masks and <laughs> hoods and robes. Batman was there. <laughs> yes, pretty much. It was at Wayne Manor. I'm sure of it. And I'm going to tell the Joker that that's where Batman... Okay, I'm going home now. Yeah. So then Victor does this. I think the only reason that Victor intercedes um, is because, A, because that Bill has been poking at things, mm-hmm. that none of which lead anywhere. It's like, oh, I'm going to go to the hotel. Yep, Nick left. Um, and this guy can prove that he left. Okay, well, that's great. <laughs> if we don't call Nick, we won't know if Nick has been hurt or dead or whatever. Um, I'm going to go to the morgue. Yep, she sure is dead, and yes, she OD'd. That proves that she OD'd. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, and apparently, according to the newspaper article, at least when Victor says, is that she was found in her room, locked from the inside. The police are satisfied. That, of course, could be money. Of course, know. that's what they want you to think. Well, the, yeah. The only thing that's connectable to anything is that Mandy was seen at Victor's home during the Christmas party and she had drugs. Mm-hmm. So the only one who's connected with this at all is Victor. Yeah. So, Which might be why he's the one to talk to him. That's a good point. Well, I, I get the distinct impression that Victor is not lying when he says, hey, I've been made to look like an a-hole in front of these people. Yeah. Um, and that he's worried about his standing. Which is a big would be a big deal in that world, right? I mean, it's obvious that Victor's doing well. We don't know what Victor does. At least I don't. If he, they say it, I don't remember it. I don't think I don't think they ever say it. He, but it's very clear he's very powerful because uh, t- Bill is so deferential to him. Never mind the fact that look at the size of that New York apartment. I mean, he obviously oh, owns brother. the brownstone, so that's like, whoo, yeah, that's 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 like a Costco. <laughs> yeah, that is um, a palace. The guy and lives in a damn upstairs. palace. Yes. <laughs> There's an upstairs, and you see how high the ceilings are? Yes. My God, that thing, it's like a cathedral. I don't know where there are buildings like that in 1999 New York. Oh, that's right. They're not in New York. Yeah, <laughs> Oh, right. by the way, do you know why they didn't shoot any of this in New York? Yeah, um, what's his, uh, Kubrick was blind terrified of travel. Well, of flying. Yeah, he couldn't go anywhere except if it was by ground transport. There you go. Yeah. Uh, that is true. Um... So do you think that the party not being shocking was a problem or not? No, again, I, I thought it, it sort of fit. It's like, obviously, Bill goes in with this one particular thought that I have discovered something significant, and I I'm I don't know why, again, because we still don't know his motivation, but I'm going to explore it, and then it's like, oh, there's really nothing here. Mm. Or is there, but then he realizes I'm completely incapable of finding out. I'm not equipped for this. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. I really should just leave this the hell alone. Huh. Yeah, I I was initially bothered by the party, and on, on further viewings, it bothered me less and less because it's so obvious that to Bill, no matter what's going on, it's a huge deal. Because mm. he's never seen anything like this. Ah, people having sex. Which makes me wonder if they didn't uh, adopt it. And well, never mind. <laughs> All right. So why don't we go ahead and wrap up? Unless you have any further thoughts about your impressions of the film or pieces of the film before we get to the uh, "Do we think it was successful?" part. Do you have well, any other further let's thoughts? Let's see. We talked. Well, I did like. I, it was really interesting the way they use nudity in it. It's both sexualized, but there are a number of times when it's just sort of clinical. It's just sort of there. Not just when, I mean, some of it is when you're in Bill's office and he's examining this very attractive woman who's who's basically... Do you have time for these? (laughs) (laughs) But he's, and he is just, he could not be... Alice quizzes him on this. It's like, well, you're you're like feeling up some woman's breasts and uh, 
you, you don't get at all excited. And I believe him when he says no, <laughs> because he could not look lo- more bored than when he, when he was uh, examining this woman. And again, with doctors, it's clinical. They well, just I like, also like the fact he actually looks like it literally never occurred to him. Oh, yeah. I, I could be excited about Oh, <laughs> huh. No, no, I've never done that. Why? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, huh. What do you know? See, part one of the difficulties I had with this movie is in 1999, I didn't know anything about Tom Cruise. Nothing. I mean, I, the vague rumors about him being gay, but again, I always thought that was just people being jealous because he's just so damn stunning. Mm. But now, whenever when he would do that weird laugh, you know, that <laughs> yeah. and that creepy smile, and all I can think of is Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he just, when he does that, he doesn't, he looks like Tom Cruise, and he looks like he's somewhat nuts, and I can't, it's hard to separate that. Yeah. Um, he also hasn't quite become action hero Cruise. I think Mission Impossible came out right before this, and maybe uh, a Mission Impossible 2 that was pushed back, I can't it, remember. It could have been. Um, hmm. I, so for me, I, the, the nudity was like, again, well, we know you like women. And it felt to me also, it's like, well, let's make sure to min- minimize almost every female character in this film by making them appear nude. Because mm. we're not going to do it with the guys. The most we're going to do it with is, you say they're nude guys dancing. I believe you. I just don't ever, <laughs> every, I keep looking and I can't find them. No, no, that was um, the odd part. It's one nude and one robed guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but then there's Cruz in his, his boxer shorts. Because, yeah, you yeah. know, if they're going to hang around in the bedroom and she's going to be nearly see-through, Cruz, of course, can't be shown anything off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that would get an immediate, immediate X rating, but you know there could have been something. Yeah. It's just like, hey, there's naked white women everywhere. <laughs> um, so for me, the use of nudity was just like creepy and and misogynistic. The roundup. We've talked about what we you know various parts of the film. We've talked about the plot. Now, finally, um, we want to talk about was the film successful? Was it worth seeing? Do we feel like we we were glad we saw this? Um, does since this film is an older film, it's nearly 20 years old, does the film hold up today, and is it worth seeing more than once? Before I go into either of that, uh, just so you know, the film, as it turns out, was actually very successful. Hmm. Um, in the time, it, its overall worldwide take was $162 million. Wow. 20 which years today, ago, that was a hell of a lot of money. Yes, today that's more like the budget for a movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it cost, I think, 60 so it nearly tripled mm. its money, which is more than enough for Kubrick to have been given a green light to make another movie, which of course mm-hmm. he couldn't. Yeah. Um, so Max, do you think mm. the film was successful? Not do you like it, but do you think it was successful? Absolutely. It held my interest the whole time. I would see it again because there were points I'd like to see, uh, see again, you know, with knowing the whole film, I'd like to see them in context. Uh, yeah, I think it definitely, uh, succeeds. I think it's, uh, I think it's a remarkable movie. Uh, does it hold up? I guess. I mean, there's still parts like, oh, look, he's using a StarTech phone. That's so cute. Yeah, but that's they're take, it's take place in 1999. I know. That's perfectly fine. Of course yeah. it is. But that's such a minor point because none of the rest of it, there's nothing else that takes you out of the time. There's nothing right. jarring. The phone is minor. <clears throat> the Things like the setting and the clothes, the cars, everything else works. Everything else holds up, even the language. And uh, I'm guessing that from this that you uh, also plan to at some point see it a second time, and so it's worth seeing seeing again. I think so. Yeah, I, I, I'm not really planning to. It's 
it's not like Clockwork Orange where I'm like, no, never. But uh, I would see this again, yeah. Okay. Um, I still don't know if I find it successful or not. The reason that I don't know if I think it's successful is I still don't exactly know what its point was. Mm. You, you, you uh, decide that Kubrick is saying that people suck. Um, <laughs> and if that is the well, point, well, that certainly holds up. We well, that's know. just being glib. I mean, it doesn't, that's <laughs> not really, I don't think that is the point. I think that's his overarching metaphor, but I yeah. don't think that's the point of the movie. Um, I, I came to that point about the idea that, that um, Bill basically realizes that he doesn't have any idea what life is or what life is about and that this is a journey for him to figure out what that is and that in the end he realizes he's too afraid to actually find out what life is um only came to me at i think the sixth viewing um, <laughs> yeah i've seen this film off and on over the years because every once in a while it's like do i like this i don't know um do i think it's worth seeing yes the reason i think it's worth seeing is that especially today there just aren't any films being made this well. Even if you don't like the film, even if you don't think it's successful, there really aren't films that are being made with this kind of care, this kind of deliberation, dear God's 15 months. Um, <laughs> and quite honestly, in general, this kind of skill. Mm. Well, I don't know. <clears throat> I would question that. I think there are people who are very different directors. There's certainly no one who's like Kubrick. I, I think there are there are movies that are being made well. There just aren't very many of them. But it's true. Kubrick is, I mean, it's a cliche, but he's in a class by himself. Yeah. And even if you don't like his movies, and there are some that don't work, they're still remarkable pieces. Uh, I mean, they're amazing examples of filming, and they're things that people copy for years. I obviously think it's worth a second viewing because I've watched it seven times. Yeah. Um, it is not a favorite film. There are films mm -hmm. that I like way better than this film that I have not seen nearly this many times, but something interests me. Um, another film that's like this for me, although I have decided that I do like it, and actually I've liked it all along, although it's kind of troublesome because it's made by that man, is The Ninth Gate. Um, uh, yeah. Have you seen Ninth Gate? I watched, yes, I did. I saw it on cable. I, it didn't grab me. Oh, see, I really like The Ninth Gate. It's also back when Johnny Depp, you know, acted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, right. So why don't we go ahead and wrap up? That was okay. uh, the lowdown. This is our first episode, and hopefully mm -hmm. there'll be many more. Uh, Hope so. Ma Max Mike Movies. But this is Eye Wide Shut, Eyes Wide Shut, Stanley Kubrick's final film, 1999. Um, I think we could also safely say, I haven't looked this up, but the final film in which uh, Cruz and Kidman appear together. I think that's um, right. Very successful film overall worldwide. Max and I say, yes, by all means, if you haven't seen it, give it a watch. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a hard film to parse, potentially, but mm. it's worth watching. Um, it's possibly even worth a second watch, and uh, it holds up over time. I agree. Cool. All right, so we'll, so talk, we'll talk at you next time. Yeah, tune in next week or whenever our next podcast is for another film that one of us has seen and one of us has not. Uh, for Max Mike Movies, this is Mike saying goodbye, and Max? Yep, goodbye, folks. For those wanting to watch ahead, next week, Max and Mike discuss The Social Network. Tune in. Want to contact us? You can find our episodes online at MaxMikeMovies.com or follow our Twitter feed at MaxMikeMovies. <laughs>